My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at the church. It's, uh, it's great to see you today. Um, we have been taking a, a short break in, in, um, over the summer in a, in a series that we started well over a year ago through the Gospel of Luke, um, which we may be in forever. But um, that's okay. Uh, so we are, we've been taking this summer to explore um, spiritual disciplines practices and habits that we can cultivate as followers of Jesus that, that move us towards him, that allow us to, to see the truth about him more clearly. And, and, the, and we actually believe that even in, in these practices, as we engage with them wholeheartedly, we um, are conformed even more fully into the image of Christ as we, as, we, um, as we follow him in this way. And so we are opening the Bible today, but we're opening to the book of Psalms. So if you need a Bible today, and you do, um, we, we have that available for you. We'd love to have a Bible in your hand. And um, there's some folks that are walking around with those right now. So um, we, again, we've been in this series on, on the discipline. So far, we've looked at um, the discipline of daily um, scripture reading. We've looked at the, the discipline of, of meditation and meditating on God's word. We've looked into the practice of, of solitude together. Last week, we looked at the practice of confession. So a couple of months ago, um, Adam, our, our senior pastor, asked me to preach in, in this series on worship. And I was like, okay, that's a pretty big topic, bud. So, like, what do you want me to say? He's like, we'll talk about the discipline of worship. I said, okay, I need to think about that. I need to think a lot about that. Um, so if, if the theme of worship is this big, we're going like, like this. Just, just forgive me in advance that we are not saying everything that could be said about worship. But we are going to talk about praise and worship. And in fact, this message will be titled The Practice of Praise. Um, so we're going to talk about this idea of, of worship as a habit, as a discipline um, together. So I've been thinking about worship for a lot of years. Uh, I, um, so I have been here for uh, two weeks ago. I celebrated like 11 years on staff here at the church. And uh, okay. I said that at the nine and they like yawned. They're like, yeah, we know it's, it's been enough. So they, so, uh, where am I going? Okay. So most of those 11 years I served as our worship pastor. So I've been thinking a lot about us as a worshiping community, but way before, way before I got here, I actually started leading worship at, um, for groups of people, particularly this little church in, um, when I was 12 years old. And uh, that is not a great model for ministry. It's just what happened. So small town, small church. Dad was a pastor. I think we call it nepotism. It just worked out <laughs> that way. <laughs> and uh, there was a need. And I was like, I'm here. So they, um, they asked me to start to lead worship. I was so shy. I was so introverted. I still am. And... <laughs> It was very hard for me, um, but God used me. I uh, barely knew how to play the guitar, squeaky voice, and uh, God um, just sort of brought me into this 
um, this space to lead people in worship. And so when I say I didn't have very many qualifications, I'm, I'm actually not being modest. I, it, I, almost zero. But there was, there, was, there was something that I guess I did have going for me. It was, I, I, I basically learned guitar and started singing um, just in my bedroom. So I, I, I didn't learn music by, by learning scales and learning musical theory. That's all super important. Um, I just like had this guitar and then there's, there was these songs and like somebody had to help this group of people sing them. And so in my bedroom for hours, I would just sit there and I would, I would, I would sing and I would learn these songs and that's how I learned to play the guitar and I would practice and I didn't know anything about music but I started to feel like man I think I'm starting to learn something about God's goodness as I sing these songs and I feel like maybe he's he's got something something for me some way to use my own life and so I I did that for a long time and then when I started to lead groups of people in worship it was sort of the just overflow of me in in my room just singing to Jesus and so I was incredibly nervous, so I'd stand on stage, close my eyes, and be like, you're in your room. There's just a lot of people there. And, and you shouldn't do that when you're leading worship for lots of people. But I didn't know what to do. I was just figuring it out. And, um, but I'd been practicing. You know what I mean? Like, I'd, I'd, I'd been worshiping God. And so, and so when I got to the place where I was with and in front of other people, I wasn't starting from scratch. And so tonight, or this morning, I, I want to talk about the practice of praise. Because I think it's something that we cultivate individually, even in our inner life, and then we express corporately, together, in the congregation. So that's kind of how I want to order this, this talk this morning. And I know that some of you may maybe hoping that I would give you a very awesome definition of worship. And there are so many. And I started to compile like 12 of them. And then I had this two-page document. And I was like, nah, I'm just I'm not going to give them one. There's many good ones. But I'll tell you this. Rather than defining worship this morning, I'm going to show you what worship looks like. And not me personally, but actually David the psalmist is going to show us what worship looks like. So we're going to look at one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 40. You can turn there now in your Bibles. And um, it's a pretty long Psalm, so we're not going to read all of the verses. I will paraphrase the, the last half of it, verses 12 to 17. We're, we're not going to read those, but th those verses, which at the end of the Psalm, actually give us the context that David writes the Psalm from. And the truth is, is that David is in trouble. Um, David's life is in turmoil. David has an enemy problem. David has a sin problem. <laughs> and David is in a helpless state. And it is from that current reality that he starts this psalm. And I want you to look at it with me. Psalm 40, starting in verse 1, he says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust 
in the Lord. So Psalm 40 is, is a lament psalm. But David starts the psalm with thanksgiving. That's super important. David begins showing us the practice of praise by remembering. Step one in the practice of praise is actually remembrance. It's actually to look back in your life. I think that one of the biggest problems in, in our walk with the Lord um, and just, just our, our lives in general is what I, I want to call spiritual amnesia. We can so easily and so often forget what God has done for us. So this morning, I, I just want to ask this question. How's your spiritual memory? Your memory is filled with truths of God's, truths of God's faithfulness, stories of what he's done, memories of how he's carried you. That's, that's where David starts. David's current state is not well, but he starts by saying, I've been here before. I've actually been here before. When we're in turmoil, we, we, we can start to think, oh, this has never happened. But the truth is, David says, I've, I've, I've been here before, and then God did something. God pulled me out of the pit. The imagery that's used in these first two verses are, it's like we're, we're supposed to, as the readers, imagine a, a person who has fallen into a deep well. And at the bottom of the well is not water, but actually mud and sludge. And, and that's how David is describing something some place that he's been before in his life. And he said, I was there and God pulled me out of that. He put my feet upon a rock. And so he's moved from this idea of stuck in the mud to standing with a firm foundation. And he goes to great lengths to say that it was only God who could do this in his life. Currently, he's in a pit again. And what does he do? He remembers. God pulled me out before. I think that each one of us need a spiritual hard drive, like an external hard drive, and it's full of stories and memories, accounts of the things that God has done in our life, and we need to be able to draw from that. We need to be able to pull those up. In the midst of current turmoil, we need to say, but I remember God pulling me out before. Um, my first few years here at the church, there was a, um, there was a, a, guy, a gentleman who went here, and he was a, um, a jazz musician. He was a very, very talented jazz musician. Um, I basically, like, there was inner turmoil every time I'd lead worship. I'd see them, the musician. There was actually a number of jazz musicians, and I was like, they just think I'm just degrading their art right now because I learned to play guitar in my room, and I don't know anything, and I'm just, whatever. So, I, I was like, I, th I think he hates me. And so what I did was I took him out to coffee. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get to know this guy. And, um, and it was amazing. Actually, we built, we built a little friendship together. Um, and I, I just, we sat down together and I was like, tell me about your life. Tell me about music. And he had all these stories about how God brought him all over the world to, um, to play in these um, really unique opportunities and these pretty dark 
jazz clubs, and um, he viewed himself as just, just a light for Christ. And, and it was super inspiring. And he went on to talk to me about um, a lot of turmoil he'd experienced in his life, and pain and loss that, 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 he'd, that he'd experienced. And, um, and he said this, I, I, I imagine I'll never forget it. I've wanted to say this for a while, but he, he said, what I'd, what I'd done in my life is he said, I'd built up an account full of all these stories of what God had done for me. I just, I just filled my, my, my heart and my mind with stories of how God had delivered me and how good God was and what he had done for me. And then when I experienced great loss, when my life was in the proverbial red, I would draw from that account. I could, just, I could draw from it because I'd stored it up in my heart. Does that make sense? He said, that's what I... That's what I did, and I was so moved by that, so challenged by that. You need a savings account of, in your life, and the currency is the faithfulness of God. And you can store it up, and then you can pull from it in any moment. That's, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to say this for, for David. I think that's actually the beginning of worship is being able to draw out. Here's what's God, here's what God has done. I know he's faithful. He, I, I've seen him do this. And so what happens is we develop this practice of remembrance in us. And I think really practically there's some ways that we can, we can exercise this in our lives um, this is one of the, the great benefits of journaling. I think in our, in our journals, we, we can certainly um, just pour our, heart, our hearts out before God. We can talk about our fears and about our longings, but we need to make a log of what God has actually done for us. You need, we need like prayer answer books. You know what I'm talking about? Like we need to record these moments when when God has answered a prayer, a huge prayer or a small prayer, we keep track of those. We store them up in our hearts and in our minds, and then we just we can draw from them in a moment of crisis. And so in that way, David shows us in the practice of praise that remembrance always leads us to trust. Verse 3, he, he talks about trust. He says, God put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then he says, blessed is the man or woman who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. The truth is, is when you experience turmoil or chaos or loss in your life, you have options. David mentions some of those options. He says, you could, I could, I could turn to a lie. People do that all the time. He said, I could turn to the proud, and the proud is a, is a metaphor in the Psalms for people who think they don't need God or that there is no God. David says, I could turn that way, but instead, because I have built up this spiritual memory, I'll turn to God in this moment. Because of what God has done in my past, in this moment right now, I can stand and trust. Amen? So trust or remembrance leads to trust. But David shows us also that trust leads to hope. 
He says this in verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. That's such a beautiful passage. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds. Wondrous deeds are the things of the past that God has done. David is calling to mind things that God has done in his life. And I think he's also calling to mind things that God has done for his people Israel. And he just calls to mind. He says, I, none can compare to you. I can't, even, I can't even record all of them, but I'm going to try. Talks about what God has done in his life. Reminds himself of that. God, you've carried me. But then there's this phrase that in that, in that verse, and I want you to keep your eyes on your Bible or on the screen where he says, your wondrous deeds, but then he says, and your thoughts towards us. What, is it, what are the thoughts of God? I, I looked up that word, um, thoughts, um, wondering what it meant because I, I, well, I guess I want to say is that it doesn't necessarily mean that God has like warm, fuzzy feelings about you. That said, I wholeheartedly believe that God has a great affection for each one of you. But when it says your wondrous thoughts towards us, the word thought in Hebrew, which is super hard to pronounce and I won't try to, is actually closer to the word device or plan or purpose. So David is saying, Lord, you have multiplied your wondrous plans for me. Think about that. Think about that movement in his life from remembrance to trust and now to hope. That word thoughts is the same word that um, comes up in, in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's people's favorite verse. I want to read it to you this morning. Um, can we do that? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's the same word as thoughts. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. I think, this is, I think this is very important for you right now to, to listen to. This is what is happening and stirring up in David's mind is that because he can look back, because he can trust now, he can look ahead with great hope. Remembrance, trust, and hope. That's a way to practice praise in your life. Now, I had a, um, had a very good friend. Her, her name was Ellie Hotsey. We've talked about her here at our church. Um, she went to heaven uh, a few months ago. And so Ellie was an amazing person and, uh, and, a, and a really great friend to me. And um, some of the stories of her have been, already been told, but the, I, I guess the basis of this whole message is that you should keep telling good stories. And so we're going to do that again. I uh, was sitting in her living room. <clears throat> this is um, months before she passed away, and we were um, we were talking about her life. We were talking about the illness that was um, that was really consuming her body and and the frailty that she was experiencing, and, um, and it was really challenging for her. It was challenging for me to sit there and and even listen. And so 
I, um, I asked a question, and I wasn't sure if it was a good question, but I asked it anyways, because I knew she'd forgive me. I said, I said, Ellie, what, what is it like to fight cancer? And she said this to me. She said, I do not fight cancer. It's like, what do you mean? That's like, that's the language we use about disease. How, how are you fighting this? She's like, no, I will treat this illness that I'm experiencing, but she says, I'm not fighting it. She said this to me. She said, the worst thing that ever happened to me, which was getting cancer five years ago, turned out to be the best thing. Because it was through that illness that I met Jesus and this church family. And she said, you know, five years ago, they gave me weeks to live, but God chose to heal me. And she said, so she said, I'm not fighting cancer because one of two things are going to happen in my life. She said, either God's going to heal me again, or very soon I'm going to be with him in heaven, and I'm perfectly good with either of those options. And I said, that'll preach. That's really good. <laughs> but I want you to notice that. You don't, you don't just come up with stuff like that. What, it, what is that? That's the practice of praise, isn't it? I've seen God's faithfulness. So I know that in this moment I can trust him. And I know that he has great plans for me. That rhythm of praise is essential to sustain you through life's experiences of loss, through the boredom and the monotony that we experience in life, and from the great accomplishments and success that we experience in life. The practice of praise, which causes us to look back to God himself and moves us forward, that is essential in our lives. And the truth is, is when we do that, when we cultivate that in our inner life, it spills out. So, so the best thing is that God did that in Ellie's life, and then she was able to share that to me. And now I'm able to share that to you. Worship is testimony. David says this in verse 5. Look at the screen with me, or look at your Bibles. When he says, You've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. Listen to this. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Go on down to verse 9. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Worship is testimony. It moves from our inner life into our community. It moves from, you know, the room, me in the room playing guitar to Jesus to me sharing in worship with a group of people. So I want to talk about corporate worship. I want to talk about like what's happening right now because I think it's incredibly important that we do. You and I are the recipient and carriers of the greatest news that the world has ever heard. And the world needs your testimony. How's the song go? Hide it under a bushel? Hide it under a bushel. No. 
the Psalms talk often about hiding God's truth and his love, his goodness in our hearts. Not so it stays there, so that it overflows. And this is what happens to David. It's somehow in the midst of, of turmoil, he has become so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that he's got to tell somebody about it. And we actually don't know if his current situation is changing or how it will change. But in the meantime, he's got a song to sing. I love, I love verse 9. I want to put that up again. He says, I've told the glad news of deliverance. I have not restrained my lips. Couldn't get past that verse. Couldn't get past that phrase this week. I have not restrained my lips. David, it's just like he can't even help himself. He's got to talk to somebody about how good his God is. That word restrained, it simply means to withhold. He's like, I can't withhold this. I can't stop talking about this. We believe often that restraint is a virtue. And in a lot of areas of life, it is a virtue. Um, some of you are parents. Restraint is a virtue. You know this. Some of you manage money for a living. I imagine that restraint is a virtue is like written on your wall. I don't know. All of us have been cut off on the freeway. Restraint is a virtue. You're browsing Amazon.com. Is my wife here? Is she here? Yes. Okay, there she is. Restraint <laughs> is a virtue. Some of you are in a dating relationship trying to keep your relationship pure. Say it with me. Restraint is a virtue. But when God's people come to God's house as God's family to worship and celebrate the deliverance that they've experienced in their life, restraint is not a virtue. You with me? Now it's quiet. Why is it quiet now? Restraint is not a virtue. David says, I'm not, I'm not going to hold back in my praise of God and what he has done for me. If you were to walk out of this service today and go to lunch or something like that, and you see somebody you know, maybe they couldn't make it today. How was church today? Very good, very restrained. Very, we like, kept it easy. Uh, we, uh, we took communion, nobody smiled. We sang some songs very quietly, very appropriately. Restraint's not a virtue. Not, not, in, not in this place when we gather in this way. Now, I grew up Pentecostal. I've seen weirder things than you have. <laughs> I promise. Seriously, I made it. I'm alive. You know? so, but um, I'm not going to prescribe to you what it looks like to worship without restraint. It's not putting on a show for God. I'm not talking about, you know, chaos that we can just celebrate together. But I, I, I need each one of you to think about that truth. When we gather together, is restraint the word that someone would use to describe our gatherings? I sure, like, 
God help us, that never happens. David says, I do not restrain my lips. And in verse 10, he says, I have not concealed your love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David's like, I can't help it. So it's not just, it's not just to feel bad. I feel bad, so I should not. No, David's saying, I have so much joy in my life. How could I hold it back from someone else? You want me to move on from this point? I'm not going to. Okay, we're going to stay here for a second, okay? I think there's many reasons why we often restrain, hold back in our worship. But I'm going to talk about two this morning. I think it's important. They are this, image management and sin management. Image management is another word for social media, and I think it's also another word for modern life. It's what we perpetually do is we manage our image of what people think of us. And so oftentimes, I think that we can bring that into the gathering. I need to appear put together. And so I'm going to sip coffee and kind of mumble some songs about Jesus. I've been guilty of that. 100% been guilty of that. And David says, don't let that be. The other, the other um, reason I think why is, is what I want to call sin management. The truth is, is that oftentimes we're, we're unaware of the depths of our own sin. We're unaware of, of, of just how much, not just brokenness around us, but the brokenness that's in us. It spills out into our lives and relationships. We live so much of our life unaware of that. That's why we talked about confession last week. And so we have this management of our image and, and we, we think that there's probably not a lot of sin actually going on in our lives and, and I think that that causes us to restrain in worship. And if you don't believe me, I'd like to tell you a story about Jesus. Luke chapter 7 Jesus is, I'll paraphrase, because we preached this a few months ago, so I'll paraphrase the story. Jesus is invited by some church folk over for dinner. And um, the religious leaders have invited Jesus to be in one of their homes and um, to share a meal together. They're kind of checking Jesus out. And a scene erupts in the room. And um, what is happening is that a, a woman who is known in the community to be a sinner has entered the room and um, more than just being there, she is weeping uncontrollably. And she is taken an expensive bottle of, of, of ointment and poured it out onto Jesus' feet. She's weeping over his feet, drying his feet with her hair. It's, it's, it's like, and the Pharisees, this is the Pharisees' respo response. They're like, Jesus, you, do you know how bad this is for your brand? This is pre-Instagram, this is pre-Twitter, but if, like, if a photo of this gets, gets out there, you're done. And even more, Jesus, do you know how sinful this woman is? Do you know how messed up she is? You're, you're associated with her. She's identifying with you, and you seem to be okay with that. So Jesus tells a story, like he often does. He says... 
to the owner of the home. He says, Simon, I've got a story for you. There were, there were two men, and they both owed a debt that they couldn't pay. One was 500 denarii, one was 50 denarii. It's a huge difference, but it really didn't matter because neither of them could pay. The money lender, the person that they owed that money to, out of sheer grace and mercy, forgave both debts. He said, Simon, who do you think loved the money lender more? And he said, well, I, I guess imagine the one with the greater debt. And then Jesus said this in Luke 7, 47. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Do you see how Jesus blows up our image management and our sin management? Puts the entirety of the world on level playing field and says, you're all, you're all debtors, but my grace is for you. My forgiveness is offered to you. My love is for you. Some receive that and respond with unrestrained praise, which is what she's doing. She's responding with unrestrained worship, praise, and adoration because she knows that she has been forgiven. Back to Psalm 40, it says these words in verse 11. David says, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. There's that same word again. Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. He's looking ahead again in faith, but he's telling us something. He says, I'm not holding back in my worship of God my king because he hasn't held back from me. Why would I hold back my love for him when he hasn't held back his love for me? That's the perspective, that's the attitude of praise that will cultivate in your life if you learn remembrance and it leads you to trust and it points you forward in hope. It's unrestrained praise. And that's what God is looking for when we gather together. And there's no guilt and there's no shame and there's no should. For David, this is, this is, this is just, this is all joy. He's like, I'm worse than I ever thought I was. My situation might be worse than I imagine it is right now, but this is who my God is. Can you imagine a group of people gathered at around 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning? What could happen in a place when they worshiped from that perspective? If they practiced that in their inner life and then it overflowed in the gathering, that's what we're talking about today. One of the highlights of the year for me was Good Friday. Um, it was an amazing service. Um, if you weren't here, it was a huge mistake. <laughs> if you're going to be a creaster, you've got to add Good Friday in there. I'm kidding. Um, I'm not. You, like, it's so good. And we, <laughs> and we, we did something differently. Um, we, we, 
we put a cross in the middle of the room, about just imagine the middle of the room here, and then the, the band was not on the stage. We were gathered around um, the cross, and then there was chairs kind of all encircling the, the cross. And um, it was different. It was different. It was hard. It was challenging. We had to figure out how to do sound and how to show lyrics. It was just like a, it was a ton of work. And, and when we started getting ready for the Good Friday service, I, I was leading the band that night. I was having, like I often do, sort of an existential crisis right before the service. And, um, and uh, gosh, the service started at 6, so at like 5 to 6, I'm thinking, like, this is going to tank. Like, this is going to be so weird. People aren't going to know what to do. I'm going to have to blame this on Colin. And... <laughs> He's the worship pastor. Um, and it took a second to acclimate, um, you know, because it was a different environment, I guess, to worship in. But our eyes were fixed on the cross together, and that was our intention. And I remember this moment. I remember, I remember these words that we began to sing, and something changed. We sang these words You don't withhold your love from us. Arms open wide upon a cross. And I'm not kidding you. The vol, like the sheer volume in the room. There was, so usually I'm leading worship and and like there's a distance, but there was no distance. So there was 10 people behind me singing those words at the top of their lungs. Not very well. Like it wasn't, it wasn't great singing. But it was true worship. And my fears of what this moment would look like and how people would respond immediately vanished as praise rose up in this room, as we lifted our hopes up to God. I need your song. You know what I mean? Like, I actually need it. Sometimes we come to worship and we're, 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 we're like preference driven. Oh, I love that song. I don't like that song. Oh, I, I, I love it when this worship leader leads, but I, I don't know like that guy. In, or, so whatever. Or like, what if rather than showing up here, hoping that our preferences would be met, we, like David, said, you know what? I've filled my mind and heart so much with God's goodness I have to tell somebody about it. There may be somebody sitting next to you who has experienced loss that that is just so deep that they can't lift their voice. Perhaps you could lift yours for them. Perhaps they could be so um, discouraged by their own sin in their life that you singing the gospel helps them to say, you know what? God's love is for me. God's love is with me. Like, what if that happened? What would it look like if that was our motivation as a worshiping community? Was that the love and grace and salvation of God would spill out out of our lives to encourage others? That's the practice of praise. That's what happens when the practice of praise moves from your inner life to the congregation. Now, I want to finish this passage, Psalm 40. We did not read verses 6 to 8 in, in Psalms, but 
we're going to read it in Hebrews. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews takes these, these three verses that we haven't yet looked at, and he applies all of them to Jesus. And many believe that this whole psalm is actually applied to Jesus. Curveball. Okay. What does that mean? It means that the true fulfillment of worship and praise is seen perfectly in Christ. Listen to this in, psalm, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. It takes these same words that we would see in Psalm 40, and it says this. Chapter 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, verses 6 to 8, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. David wrote Psalm 40 about something that God had done in his life. And it stirred up praise in his life. And the hope that it stirred up was so great that it actually looked past David's own life to a Messiah who would come. The truth is, you and I will never offer a perfect offering to God. You and I could never offer an eternal sacrifice to God. You and I might never worship with pure motives, but Jesus did. And Psalm 40 looks ahead to that, to that Savior whose offering, whose, whose life was a sacrifice whose motives for worshiping his heavenly father were completely pure. And even more than that, he is our great high priest. And so he takes our feeble prayers. He takes our out-of-key singing. He takes our imperfect motives, and he perfects them and offers them to God. Do you believe that? That is what Jesus does. And so there is no such thing as Christian worship that is not in Jesus. And so each week, our practice of praise is to remember Jesus. We come to the table of communion to remember what he has done. Right? That walk to the communion table is a walk of trust. I literally could never save myself. And as we take the elements, we, it says that we, we, we do this until he comes, looking ahead in hope for the return of our king. That practice, that rhythm that shapes us as a community, it shapes us as individuals. The communion meal is, is called the joy meal. Do you know this? It's often referred to as the joy meal. So it's not solemn, head down, single file. I mean, it, it, you know, we have to get there somehow, so we, we, we line up. But, but it's not a solemn moment. 
is a great joy. It's an act of praise and trust. If you're walking to the communion table today as a follower of Jesus, it's completely appropriate, appropriate for you to smile at someone. It's completely appropriate for your heart to spill over with joy. Yes, sometimes we come and, and, and contemplate, but today, why not come with great joy? Why not come to the table longing to stir up even more joy in someone else? Why, why hold back? Why restrain? God hasn't restrained his love from us. He hasn't withheld anything from us. And he invites us to hold nothing back as we worship him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this, this, this gathering, this, this, this practice of praise that we get to engage in each week. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would enter into it wholeheartedly. That we would remember what you have done for us in Christ, put our trust in you, put our hope in you. We cannot do that on our own, and so we need your help. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, um, that you would help us, not just in these moments, but in, in, our, in our week, in our lives, to find and discover ways to, to cultivate this hope, to celebrate it, to stir it up in our hearts to such, degree, to such a degree that it spills out in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.